You're listening to the Oh Come On Sports Podcast with me, Natasha Sanishevsky. Here we go. Welcome to another edition of the Oh Come On Sports Podcast. Allie, it's another Friday. Uh, it's almost Christmas. Christmas is next weekend, right? Do I have that? Yeah. Right? Yes. It, Here we yes, are. it is. And I don't know about you, but it was 16 degrees yesterday in Toronto. <laughs> so, I mean, I think we all may be dying soon, but at least it's going to be comfortable, right? I mean, because like global warming or whatever it is, but. It was. I was putting up Christmas lights yesterday, and I was amazed. I'd take my jacket off because I was like, "Man, it's actually getting a little bit warm out here." So, yeah. But Christmas is next week. You are right. Do you have any idea what's happening weather-wise in my city? No. What's happening in your city? <laughs> it's freezing. It felt like minus thirty yesterday when I went for my walk. Yeah, it is the opposite. Oh my goodness. The opposite things are happening on both sides of the country. I heard it was warm in Toronto. I couldn't believe it. Um, so did I just totally feed into that stereotype that Toronto is the center of the universe? Because I assume that because it's happening here, it's happening everywhere. Is that, is that did I just do that? Yeah, you did. Okay. Yeah, I think you did. But that's okay. You, why would you be checking up on the temperature in Calgary like that? <laughs> it's fine. I, I don't, uh, I won't hold that against you. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it is cold here. I'm happy for you guys. Uh, out there in Toronto where it's nice and warm. I, I was thinking this morning about this podcast and how sometimes we talk about the weather and I actually don't mind talking about the weather because the other thing that everybody's talking about now is COVID and how it's affecting sports. And I don't want to talk about COVID. I would rather talk about the weather, even though it's almost impossible not to talk about COVID now because it's just crazy how it's back now, right? Affecting the NFL and the NHL and the NBA. And it's like, oh, we thought we were maybe kind of sort of out of the woods dealing with it. And then all of a sudden this, what is it? The Omicron? I don't even know what it's called. It's just, it's here and it's annoying. Again. It seems to be, uh, yeah, right. It's it's a little bit of a kind of a scary time. Feel like we're going backwards in time here. I, like you, you know, I was getting comfortable with my QR code in hand and double vax friends at dinner and going out and Raptors games and everything. And now we're, I mean, not only sports, but you know, their social activities seem to be being cut down again. So yeah, it is a bit of a scary time. And I agree with you. Uh, I would rather not talk about COVID. But as a sports fan, and as a more importantly for me, as a sports better. It is impossible to get a sense of who is playing and who's not playing. And like, I'm watching, oh, I'm watching TSN right now, and I'm literally every piece of information spilling across the bottom is a new person being added to yeah. COVID protocol. Um, so it's impacting a lot of games, obviously, and therefore impacting a lot of uh, derivative components of sports as well. Well, the Flames team has been Holy. decimated. I think they added another. I think Michael Backlund was added to the list um, this Friday morning. So I think they're are only five players not under protocol. I was actually, I was hoping to get Milan Lucic on the podcast this week and I (laughs) sent their media guys a text Monday morning and then an hour later, all this stuff came out about COVID and I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure we're not getting Milan on the podcast this week because they have a million other things to worry about now, right? Like they they paused their whole week, basically. They canceled a bunch of games or postponed yeah. a bunch of games, which maybe kind of works in their favor because they were on a four-game losing streak. So maybe this little pause will somehow help them. I don't know. But does it okay, does it seem strange to you that some teams have an absolute outbreak and then the Leafs, for instance, have nobody in COVID protocol? Same in the NFL, right? So there's I think the Rams, the Rams are playing the Seahawks. We're gonna talk about NFL later, I know that, but the Rams as of yesterday, had like 25 players in yeah. the COVID protocol. They had to shut down their facility. They're playing the Seahawks, who are one of four teams who have zero players on COVID protocol. And they're in the same division. So they play the same opponents fairly, fairly often. Can you explain to me how that works? Because I don't understand it. I can't. I, I can't explain it. And I, I was thinking sort of about the same thing when I saw the Flames, all those positive cases, and they had played Boston the night before, or two nights before. And I thought, oh, my God. Of course, all the Bruins are going to be sick too, but then only two of them have, I think, Marchand and I forget somebody else. So I don't know how it's being passed around. I, 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 I don't know. I'm a, I'm not a doctor. I don't get it. I'm just as confused as you are how, how entire teams are getting it. Other teams are completely 
not. But if yeah, I, I mean, either it's the protocols that the league has put into place that are being followed, or they too. Yeah. Anyway, I won't speculate. I have no idea, but I don't understand it. I'm not smart enough, obviously, to understand how that works. But uh, but yeah, it's, it seems uh, seems awfully strange. Well, if you're and as a better, as you mentioned, uh, like Baker Mayfield is not impressed with um, the fact that the Browns are supposed to play on Saturday when he Correct. is in protocol. Case Keenum is in protocol. The coach is like, what kind of team are they going to put out on the field in a game that has really playoff implications? You know, they're trying to move, Very up, much so, yeah. move up the standings. Uh, and he kind of has a point, I think. I think, I think there was someone in the NHL that, that spoke out as well. Uh, someone who, someone in Nashville, I think. Um, Cousins. Who uh, who just this morning tweeted something about like let's pause the season until after right. Christmas, come back on the twentieth sixth, give those who are you know sick or have tested positive right now uh, a chance to recharge and re-energize and starting on the twenty sixth. And I mean, yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't know what the answer. Again, if you have teams that are fully infected and teams that aren't infected, then it, is that fair as well to pause the whole season? I mean, no. I know players and. And and the league share revenues, so there is the implication of you know stopping games or losing games. There's a, a financial impact, which I think you and I as fans probably don't appreciate as how much input that has into the uh, the overall decisions that are being made. But uh, yeah, I don't uh, I don't know. Uh, I guess they're going to continue to play, I suppose, right? I guess they're, they're, I mean it's just a day by day basis on who's going to be playing versus who's not going to be playing. I think you have to keep playing, in my opinion. These teams that don't have any COVID at all, I don't. You can't just you can't pause the season. I don't think at this point, it's too hard to reschedule games and get all those games. in at the end of the season, if like you said, if there's nobody on the lease that's sick, I think you have to plow through and get through. Okay. Well, let me ask you this question then. Uh, let's go, let's, let's go down that rabbit hole a little bit. And let's say, I don't know if you saw the bell center last night, but there was no fans in attendance. Right. right? So they locked up fans last night. Presumably the next step could be closing borders. Um, last year we had a Canadian division. This year we don't have a Canadian division. So how on earth does that happen if teams have to go across the border to play each other because the schedule says so and they can't because borders are closed or there are exemptions? Like there's, it's, there's so much uncertainty right now. That, never mind the Olympics, which we can talk about for, you know, for, for, you know, for an hour by itself. Um, but lots of uncertainty. Yeah, you know what? I don't really want to go down the rabbit hole. Because <laughs> you just said you didn't want to, right? We're supposed to talk about weather now, aren't we? You, I know. Can we go back to weather? But this is my <laughs> point about all of this. There's just, there are no easy answers. And... Um, okay, you know what? Forget COVID. Let's talk about something fun. <laughs> the Vancouver Canucks are 6-0 and under Bruce Boudreau. What do you think about... How is that... A, does a coach have that much of an impact? I mean, I mean, it was, I know it was a coach and a GM and a whole bunch of changes. What causes a team to turn things around to that level, right? That to, to being six and oh, really? How does a team win six in a row going from like the dumpster fire that was happening out west, uh, to all of a sudden a change, uh, on player, I'm uh, sorry, in folks that aren't on the ice, and now these guys are playing, you know, they're on fire six and six and oh, how does that happen? Explain that to me, Natasha. Bruce, there it is. Have you heard this little thing you're doing with Bruce Boudreau? Someone started this Bruce, there it is. I did, but I love it. There it is. And it all has to do with Bruce Boudreau, which, I mean, this this is not uncommon, right? To have a new coach come in and all of a sudden there's just like, it's a breath of fresh air. Maybe there's a little less player um, pressure on the player's or just, it's just a different relationship, right? They want to prove to their coach maybe um, and play a little bit better. They want to prove to everybody that they're a better team than they were, but this will all like, I feel like the flame or the Canucks were not playing as bad as their record showed. I agree. And they're probably not as good as their record is right now. It's going to balance out eventually, but I kind of love when this happens, like keep riding the streak. Like Bruce is a great coach, obviously, right? He's been around forever. He seems to be a player's coach. You don't hear a lot of players say anything uh, bad about him. He, there was a shot of him winning the other day behind the bench, like he had his hands raised, like a big smile <laughs> on his face. Like he gets so into it. And, um, I don't know. Keep her going. Bruce, Bro, there it is. Guys. I'm going to be saying that all day today. Bruce, you have to sing it. it. Bruce, I, had, there I, it is. I will yeah. not be singing it. Not 
not in front of you anyway, but I will be singing it to myself uh, later on. Um, I have a little beef with you and your Edmonton Oilers fans. Uh-oh. Okay, hit me. Why are Edmonton Oilers fans throwing jerseys on the ice? Like, they're in, like, fourth place in their division. They, you know, like, they're, they're, they're like, two of the top three players in the league in terms of scoring and stuff. Like, why? what, what possesses a fan after, understandably, six games lost, um, to throw your jersey on the ice after, you know, again, when the team has been playing reasonably well? I honestly don't think those are real fans at this point. I gotcha. think people do that for attention. I wish... I know, I guess the cameras have to show it. I guess part of the broadcast, you have to show it. But then everybody makes a big deal about one idiot throwing his jersey. It's like, oh, God, look at these fans. They're so upset. When it's just one idiot who probably had too much to drink and is trying to, he's literally trying to get on TV. He's like the streakers. And then show off to his buddies. Yeah, yeah exactly. And like, fine, throw your jersey. But the Oilers won last night, like six games. I know it's not a great, yeah. it's not a good look, losing six in a row, but it's like, what, 6% of the season? Eight, like, put your jersey on and go home. <laughs> Stop it. I hate when fans actually do that after, do maybe after a whole season, maybe at the end of the season, if you're in the tank and you lost 10. Listen, if, you're- a, if a Detroit Lions fan wants to throw his jersey on the field at this point, completely justified right they you know what that would be completely fine but yeah i completely i 100 percent uh agree with you it was good to see them get a win last night good to see connor get a couple of points last night which is nice so i'm i'm one of those guys keeping their eyes on the the scoring race and the point race and stuff because i love the story of ovechkin being 36 an old guy like me and uh out there competing with these uh with, with these young bucks and uh i don't know about you but my money is on on ovechkin to pull this out i won't bet against ovechkin you mean to to beat Gretzky's record or to win the scoring race this year? Or? I meant to win the scoring race this year. I don't. Yeah, okay. the, the, the Gretzky's record thing. He's still got to have a couple of pretty good yeah. seasons to get there. So I don't know. I, I don't know about that one. But I think this year, uh, I would love to see Ovechkin. You know, pull ahead of uh, of both Drysaddle and McDavid and potentially win the Hart Trophy this year. Right now, he is a plus six hundred, so six to one on Ovechkin to win the Hart Trophy. Connor is a plus one seventy five. And Dreisaitl is plus 350. Those are the top three. And just Austin Matthews, shout out to Austin Matthews, plus 750, number four. That's um, not happening, but... So, no, that's not. <laughs> Ovi, Ovi is the favorite right now? No, Ovi's third. Sorry, Ovi's third. third. So okay. Connor's first. Connor's first at, you know, again, one plus 175, which is, for a futures like this, it's pretty close to even money. So almost right. almost uh, guaranteed stuff. And then Dreisaitl is second. Um, and Ovi is third at plus 600. Okay, I was going to say, because, I mean, during this little losing streak, I don't think McDavid and Dreisaitl had a ton of points over it. So, obviously, Ovi was going to catch up with them, I think. But now, if the Oilers can get back to their winning ways a little bit, I think that would balance out. And, I think so. Right? McDavid and Leon so. would, would pull ahead again. But I don't know. We'll see. Like, I, I think I said this in one of the first hockey podcasts we had this year, is that Ovi has my attention all year. Like, he's the one thing that I'm always – he doing tonight with like what goal is it like i mean you know the goal he's going to score you know his little sweet spot he's going to score them on the power play but i just yeah. i never get tired of watching it and, and right know. from the hash there he has that that's right. that, that shot oh, right? yeah. I mean, it's, just, it's beautiful what's your what's your most like memorable ov moment is there one picture in your mind that comes to your yeah you know, that, that that the most visual representation of, of ov in a certain play that he, he he has i mean there's that one goal he scored on his back that's the one for me yeah played that's the one a for lot. Me. Um, that yeah I mean that's that's instantly the first one that jumps to mind but I just think there's so many times just his joyful face because you can just see how much he loves scoring and he never hides that passion and he loves to see his teammates score too which I love that about him so much like he's just genuinely happy for his teammates and he just loves the game and it's just so hard to cheer against this guy like who doesn't like Ovi is anybody yeah. else who's like, oh, I don't like Obi. What a loser. No, Obi's great. He loves the game. He's so passionate. And yeah, I just I keep I hope he keeps scoring a mile a minute. Where do you stand on the Obi versus Sid debate? The the the, the age-old debate on who is better, who is better, who who is better. Who's gonna go down in history as the better player? Who do you think? Yeah, I think I it's a tough one because I think I think we like to give this 
the edge to Sid just because he's a Canadian, whether we are realized we're biased or not, we want the Canadian to be the better player. But I think Sid is overall too, like overall, he is a better player. He has more Stanley Cups. Um, you have to count that. He has the Olympic gold medal. So I give the edge to Sid, but um, sometimes those debates, it's like, they're, they're both great players. We even have to debate it. They're both great in their, in their own ways. Let's just celebrate them both. Look at you. You're just uh, in a good, a joyful face and celebrate them both and all that. No, I, I, I agree with you. I think the one thing about Ovi being 36, and we, and we both know that from watching Ovi over the years, that he's not one to shy away from contact. So to be doing what he's doing now at this age, after not only this age, but this many minutes, right? So think of all the regular season, all the postseason, all the Olympics, all, all of the, those minutes he's been playing, um, and to still be doing it at such a high level at this age, in a sport where you, know, you can't you can't hide, it's not like you're playing in left field somewhere in a baseball game, or or even like Tom Brady, who, yeah, it's football's a contact sport, but quite frankly, he doesn't get touched very often, right? So him at 44 yeah. is a little different than Obi doing this, who is going into corners looking for contact. You know, he's quite often the aggressor. Uh, it's, it's a different level of respect for him. Okay, one more thing, one more hockey thing I want to quickly touch upon before we get to our football picks. And then we have a guest who I also want to mention, Amy Audibert, uh, who's an NBA analyst for Sportsnet. Nice. She's been basketball her whole life. She's doing color now for the Raptors, which is awesome. She's going to come on in a few moments. But quickly, uh, Paul Maurice resigned this morning for the Winnipeg Jets, which kind of came out of left field. Uh, he spent eight seasons with the team. They were They've been sort of middle of the pack all season. And he just said they need a different voice. And he stepped they away. Need a different, they need a different voice. I was uh, listening to his press conference this morning because I love listening to Paul Maurice. As somebody who's been in media, I, I feel like he gives such thoughtful answers. And I was so curious to see how he was going to explain this. And he just, it sounds like he felt... You know, every coach has a shelf life, and I think yeah. you just realize they need somebody new. And a lot of times, coaches realize that, and they stay anyways, and then they get fired or whatever. They get low, they get let go, they part ways. And he said he felt he knew his players that well, and he loved them so much that he wanted the best for them. And he realized he was not the right person for the job anymore to take them to the next level. So he left. He's gone. That's He's you know, that's that's yeah. It's quite remarkable because I mean, obviously, coaches resign or get fired all the time, and usually it's a combination of the two, right? I mean, usually there's there's some level of being pushed out the door. Whereas this seems like it was completely. It seems like it anyway. Completely his own decision, his own volition, his own kind of foresight for the uh, for the team, which is an awfully strange situation. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, more power to him, I guess. It's, I, I suppose, right? It's to leave a. I mean, there's what, 32 of those jobs in the world, right? Only yeah. that's it. And so to leave one of those to say, just because you feel like the team needs a new voice, it's either a unprecedented level of, you know, kind of commitment to the players or or maybe there's something else in the works, right? I mean, yeah, we don't know. We'll see. It didn't sound like it. He, he mentioned COVID like the last two years. He actually said he hadn't, he didn't love coming to the rink as much. He said it was more of a grind and he wasn't embarrassed to admit it. Uh, he said having no fans in the building last year was tough. So it's interesting. Like the COVID stuff obviously takes a toll, not just on the players, but coaches and like everybody too. And I don't know. I, I'm just kind of still, this is like you said, I don't know if this is unprecedented necessarily, but it's, a, it's rare for this. It's rare. Thing, sure. Right. But as a person who uh, are, I don't know if you're allowed to have a second favorite team or not, but I kind of do. The Jets have always been my second favorite hockey team. Really? Really? That right Why now. is that? Because when I was a kid and they played in the same division as the Oilers, they played in the Smythe division. Remember the Smythe division? I do remember the Smythe division. <laughs> and the Oilers and the Jets would meet often in the playoffs. And I remember the Jets had the charge of the white brigade and all their fans would come out with their like white towels and like wave them That's like crazy. Cool. And as a kid, I just remember watching the arena and I was like, oh my God, this team is so big and scary. And look at all these fans. They're all coordinated. They have the towels and there was something about them <laughs> that I was just like, I kind of like this team and they're a small market team and they are just, they are my second favorite team. So anyway, gotcha. as a, cool. as, as a cool. fan of the Jets, who I thought would be doing better this year than they have been, maybe this, maybe this will, uh, 
maybe this will spark them. Dave Lowry, I believe, is going to take over. He was the assistant coach behind the bench. He is now in charge, I think. So, um, yeah, the Jets, where are they? They are uh, ninth in the Western Conference right now. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see. So fighting, I- kind of fighting for that fighting in that in, in that fighting yeah. area. Interesting. Very interesting. So there. Um, you go. Amy, Amy's in the. Uh, Amy's in the. Amy's in the chat room. Okay. You know what? Maybe we should get right to Amy. Here she is. Amy Audebert, an NBA analyst for Sportsnet. Amy, did I pronounce your last name properly? I feel like there's probably a lot of different pronunciations with this name. So I'm going to ask you right now, how do you pronounce your last name properly? I say the T-heart, Audebert. Audebert. That happens so much, Natasha, that it's almost like, yeah, that too. Like It's it's funny because (laughs) Um, it's actually Maltese. It's not oh. a Canadian name. It's from Malta. And so it's like this whole thing, but it, it's Audibert. But at the same time, like I said, it's almost second nature now. It's, okay. I'm not someone who gets too like offended when my name's mis- mispronounced. So that's okay. We're going to start feel about right that. <laughs> How do you feel about You're in Niagara Falls right now. How's it yeah. going over there? It's going. I think it's just like everywhere else, right? We have our own little bubbles. I mean, I would say this over the last year and a half, I've had a newfound appreciation for the beauty of my hometown. Um, There's lots of little (laughs) paths and nooks and things that I think I've never actually explored because you don't do that when you're 17, right? And then all of a sudden life starts. So, I mean, it's beautiful. I'm not, there's no snow today. There's sun. It's like not supposed to be December 15th right now. (laughs) Right. We hear that, Sarah, I heard this morning, we were talking again, like you said about the weather. It's beautiful over where you guys are, but it's pretty cold in Calgary right now. I went for a walk yesterday, but it's, uh, it is not fun. But like you, I'm, you're kind of forced to like do different things, explore different trails and just keep yourself busy during all this COVID craziness, unfortunately. Yeah. Good times. Amy, let me ask you, how did you, uh, how did you get your start in basketball? And when, and when did you start loving basketball? I remember a time when I started absolutely loving watching basketball. When was your, when was your basketball love moment? Yeah, I think I, I started playing by accident. I was just like the worst player on the house league team. I was younger than everyone, but bigger than everyone. And they needed a couple extra bodies. So, (laughs) um, it's, and then I, it's the story's funny. They switched the two worst players, which was my sister and I, to the best team for their two best players. So we won a championship my first year, nice. 10 years old in house league. We were the worst players. That's probably when I fell in love with it because Hey, when you're good at something, you're not really, but you're like, Oh, we won. And that kind of motivates you to get a couple extra shots up. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that's like, you know, the whole competitive thing that's at a young age, I decided that it was okay to embrace being a bit more competitive than everyone else, which is always a blessing and a curse, I think, but <laughs> It was a good match for me. Did you always have that com- that competitive spirit growing up? I think so. I think obviously the sport kind of enhanced that a little bit. I had, there's three sisters. And then two years after I started playing, a little brother came along. So we have, we were supposed to get a dog and we got a brother. It was a terrible family dinner. <laughs> I always tell her like, I'll never forget that family dinner. Actually, it was right before a house league basketball game. And my parents, they said we could get a dog when my mom went back to be a nurse and graduated when she graduated school we were gonna get a dog and they were like guys I'll never forget like we can't get a dog because you're gonna have a brother and it was not a good my I never asked my mom but not a good reaction probably what they wanted (laughs) so you were cheering for the dog oh yeah and it took a long time like it wasn't even like an instant cool it was a long time before we got over that one So you went to Niagara College for TV and journalism in 2012. What drew you to broadcasting initially? And and were your eyes always on sports journalism? No, no, not at all. I went, I did my, um, my bachelor and my master's in sport administration at the university of Miami where I played. I knew I like, I loved athletics. It's my two of my best girlfriends um, have nothing to do with sports anymore. One of them was an athlete in college. I could never imagine my life without sports. I knew that I knew I just, I wanted. I didn't know where or what, but I knew I wanted to be in sports. And then when my visa expired first time, um, I had to come back home and it was, I spent a year, I bartended at a casino. And I mean, I went from living in the sickest Miami apartment, downtown balcony that wrapped around to like back to Niagara Falls. And it was like, what <laughs> when, and it was just like, you know, I was 22 years old at the time. And it was like, what am I going to do with my life? Sports, the sports and entertainment. Um, obviously there's the top 
big time up in Canada, but just not as consistent, right? College, university, all that stuff. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I loved communicating and I loved presenting and I live close to Niagara College and they had a great BRTF program. So I just kind of went in there and funny me was like spent 10 minutes with the director of the program. I was like, you think I can work in television because I don't want to waste any time and I don't know how to waste my money. Like, just tell me, do I, can I do it? You know? And it was, funny it was really, the guy was probably looked at me like, yeah, you shouldn't like, you're not, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I gave it a try. I think it was kind of just that point where you're like, I knew if I didn't try it, I was going to deeply regret it. So. so what's your experience been like so far then being a woman in a male dominated, dominated industry? I get asked this question all the time and yeah. I'm going to throw it to you now. We, yeah. you, we have to talk about it and I'm, I get exhausted, to talk, exhausted talking about it. I'm sure you have too, but I mean, as compared to when being a female basketball player, I was, I was thinking about March badness. Remember how that I forget the player. She put out that photo of the gym was like yeah. that little weight tree compared to the, what yeah. the guys had in their gym. So as a female, you've been, you know, trying to make it big as a basketball player. And now as a, as a, as a journalist, I guess, or a broadcaster, which has been more difficult or has, has it been similar? Um, and, and that's Sedona Prince, by the way. I love her. That's the name. Um, yes. she's Thank awesome. You. Yes. No, she's awesome. Um, I, I would say this for me, I guess in some ways I've almost like had blinders on the whole time. Like I can't, I can't walk into situations and make myself feel any different because I'm, I'm a woman that, you know, Natasha, like that comes across in anything we do. If you're not making excuses for yourself, but then you also feel like you have to be better. You know, I mean, the reality is we probably get a little less of a slip up, right? We don't get a second chance. Oh yeah. But I, I keep saying I, and I've, like you said, we've had these conversations a lot, especially as of late, I've been fortunate because most of my mentors are men and they've been amazing. And in what I do in particular, when I'm sitting in a color analyst chair, I'm, I don't know if I've ever sat beside a woman. I've always sat beside men, but they've been amazing. I've, I've never been felt less or that I need more guidance or I need more attention or anything because I'm a woman. And I think that that's been I know that's not the experience for everybody. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm aware of that. And I just think I've been incredibly fortunate to be uplifted by amazing men in this industry. Um, but it's also kind of a bit of a motivation, isn't it, for us to keep pushing so that we can, we can, we don't have to, we can be mentors to young women as that weren't necessarily there for us. Um, there have been great women in television, just not a lot. So the access isn't necessarily as grand as it's getting. So you were part of the first all women's broadcast uh, team to call a, an NBA game back in March. Was that a big deal for you or did it just feel, um, did it feel like natural and normal to be surrounded by women and calling this game? I did my best to make it not a big deal until the game was over because the number one thing that we all had to do is remember is just like, be really go do a good job. Uh, because that's why we're there, you know, and if we didn't do a good job, it wasn't gonna, it wasn't gonna go over so well. But I also, I think we all knew that for us, these were positions for the most part that we did, we did do. So it wasn't a fluke that we were asked to be a part of it. Uh, I'd say afterwards, when I started kind of looking at my phone a bit more, it was like, wow, this, this, this is pretty big time. You know, you almost had to be a little bit naive about that going into it, right. To like not overwhelm. I know I was doing like national media at like six at the clock in the morning that day. So at some point I just kind of said, all right, I'm done. I have to go do my job now. I just have to be professional and do my job. And I always go back to that and say, I think it went so well because the Raptors played so good. <laughs> you know, that always helps as you guys know when the home team or the, the network or that you're working with when they're playing well, it helps. And so it was an awesome night. It was, it was great. And I still hear, you know, I still get people saying, Oh, I watched that with my kids or I got a DM, I think last week. And it was like just a woman who coached and played. And she was just like saying how she still is just so awesome. Like that meant so much to her to see women presenting um, across the board. And that's, that's pretty cool. Right. Let me chime in quick with my experience here, because I watched that game as well. And I remember getting home a little bit late. I'm an avid Raptors guy. I'm a season ticket holder and everything else. And I remember tuning in and hearing the broadcast. 
and not even being aware that it was happening, which is the biggest compliment I can pay you. It was, I was, it was just watching a game. It was a regular game. And then I think in the second quarter, I had heard about the first, you know, all female broadcast. I thought, Oh, that's really cool. But as a fan and as a kind of a, someone, an engaged patron, I didn't even see a difference. So uh, it's a testament to the quality that was, you know, that was being put out there. And it wasn't just a, a token thing. It was because you guys are good at what you do. And, and those of us as fans could, uh, could, could realize and respect that. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I think that was part of it. It was to say, like, women do have these jobs, just not a lot and just not necessarily on, like, national platforms, but they do. And oh, we also can do it. And that's part of it. And John Wiggins, who kind of spearheaded the whole thing, um, he's been amazing. Uh, with the Raptors and the organization and just trying to just put people that don't necessarily have the opportunity a chance. Right. And if we showed up and we weren't good, then that's on us. Right. But I knew that there was no, there wasn't an, an issue of, am I going to be good or not? You know? So right. it's, it's yeah. yeah. You guys. Yeah. You killed it. Thank um, you. Women are always fighting to get better and more coverage in sports. The WNBA has probably done one of the the best jobs at it. What lessons do you think other um, other sports and women can take from what the WNBA has done or is doing? I think with the, and I was fortunate. I worked um, for a season down in Atlanta in 2019. Um, so I feel like I, I've gotten a good um, grasp on the league. I think it all starts from the foundation of their product. It, it's really good basketball. Like they, it is a collection of the best basketball players in the world who happen to be women professional basketball players. And, um, that's the foundation. And I think for anything you do, even and for yourself or for myself, like it's like, you, you don't just step onto ex- a stage and expect people to buy in because you're there or you've put the money into being there. It's because you've put the work into being there. And I think that that's part of what the WNBA is those women work incredibly hard. Um, they are very good at their craft. And so when I know sometimes when you online, when you see those people that are still making those comments and so it's like, dude, you never picked a ball up in your life. Like they kick your tail. Like they're so good at what they do. And I think that it's important in, in any industry and especially in our, like we all want instant gratification and it's just not the, the recipe for success. And so like, there's this, I think kind of like embrace the grind, you know, and, and the WMEA has done that and they're continuing to do it on the court, off the court and everything they do, because they, they're also realistic. I think they've, but now they're at the point where I think they do believe and they should believe our product's great people. There's a hunger for it. Um, and now they're starting to get the big corporations to kind of buy in. They're starting to get their sponsorships and that's part of it. Right. So, I mean, I don't know if that answers your question, but I think that's in, in anything that we're trying to do. I, I don't think instance always the best. True. Absolutely. Completely agreed. Um, Let's get into your wheelhouse and talk Raptors now. As a fan, I want, I'm excited to talk to a subject matter expert. Um, Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I mean, obviously the Raps are, it, it's, you know, been a bit of a tougher road this year, obviously. And, and you know, partially because of some uh, some roster changes and also because the East got really good, right? So some surprise teams in the East and there's some teams that we knew were going to be good that are going to be good. Uh, what do you think the, you know, this year holds for the Raptors? Are we making the playoffs this year? And, and what do you think is the missing piece right now? Well, I think the missing piece is health. Let's just start there as it always is. But, um, when you look at a squad like the Raptors, I think OG and Adobe is such a big part, uh, on both sides of the ball and what these guys want to get do out there. And it's been tough just, and also cam and precious in and out and, so I think health is the biggest single biggest factor. And you can say that about any NBA team. And especially right now, it's like the availability, um, don't even try to keep up with the, the list every day. Um, but uh, in terms of what I expect, I mean, for me, I'd continue to buy my ticket every day because you never know. <laughs> Some days are a little bit funner yeah. than others. But at the same time, I think when you look at the young talent that's come in, the newer faces, I'm okay to, to ride with that squad, like, you know, because I, and I think Scotty Barnes is so polarizing on the court, off the court. You're just, you have to be, I don't know. I don't, I, have you come across anyone that doesn't like Scotty? That isn't a fan. No, your boy Scotty is the, he's the man. <laughs> he's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, even a guy like Pascal, I've really appreciated the way he's kind of gotten into this season. Um, so I think, again, it's just getting guys back. And, and also the reality of the situation is, hopefully these guys can start getting back soon. It's not going to be beautiful right off the top. 
right? They have, I don't even think they've actually strung a full series of games together where they've had their proper rotation or what they envision their rotation would be. So I think that there's like, obviously this hope for like, you know, the next couple of months immediate. And I believe they, they could definitely be a, a postseason team without a doubt. I think this is, we're in mid-December. I said it was the 15th earlier. It's actually the 17th. Just We both agree with you. So, yeah. I think it's been the 15th for a long time now. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. And then there's also, again, like this whole idea. And I mean, really, again, you look at on the court and young talent, like Delano's awesome. Are you kidding me? Like this is, and just his story is incredible. So I, I am long-winded, right? Natasha, because we do this, 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 we talk a lot. Um, I would continue to buy my ticket. I would continue to buy my ticket every time. So I don't know if that helps at all. I also keep my glass half full. I hear a lot of like, oh, it's propaganda. Oh, you're just praising the team. And it's like, okay, well, what are you going to choose to be mad at the team? Like as a fan, (laughs) like I try to be optimistic. And I think, you know, I think I have a good case with this group. Someone who takes a little bit of heat, maybe undeservedly, maybe deservedly, is uh, is Pascal, right? As has uh, had a bit of a tough run over the playoffs last year, and I think has had a bit of a, in my opinion, a bit of an adjustment to being Batman versus Robin. Um, do you think he can be Batman? Absolutely. Can he be the man on our team? Yeah, and I think so. And I think you know the way he does it, you don't. And because he hasn't necessarily established himself as the man, you don't walk in there and all of a sudden, you, like, that's not how locker rooms work. That's not how it works on the court, at least in this organization, right? They're not giving him the ball every single possession and say, hey, go win us a game. And I think that's okay. It's, it takes some time. Uh, but like I said, I think the way he's come into the season, um, w- coming off the injury, and you wipe, we know, and Pascal's been very candid about it. He wasn't his best self last year. And I think, that's okay. We can't judge anybody the way that they've processed the last year and a half. Um, unless you've ignored the science, then that's a whole nother conversation, but um, (laughs) yeah, but, um, (laughs) yeah, sorry. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think there's still a lot of opportunity. And the other thing, and I know now Fred's taking a lot of shots. Fred's obviously got the ball in his hands all the time. Let's not forget Fred and Pascal came up together. Like they grinded the nine Oh five out together. They were both not brought into this organization to necessarily be where they are yet. They are here and they've worked their way together to the top. And I think there's something to be said about that and understanding maybe that dynamic in that locker room corner, if you will. Uh, you, you mentioned him really quickly earlier and uh, I light up with excitement when you talk about Scotty, cause he's so much fun to watch. Talk about Scotty's ceiling a little bit. Like what, what, what do we, cause I, I saw a couple of plays in that next game where they went to Scotty. I saw against Durant. And Scotty scored, I think, three out of four times when, when, when they went to that. Um, talk about his ceiling. What do you think? How, how good can Scotty be? I don't see it. I don't know. I don't know where it is. Because like you said, Kevin Durant, I mean, we, we know what he is on the offensive side of the ball. He's pretty, you know, he's got some length and some mobility on the other side too. So, And he was doing KD things against KD, right? But I'm not comparing him to KD. I just, I think he's his own, he's his own player. I, I'm not into comparisons. Um, in terms of ceiling, I don't know what it is. And I think the one thing that really defines Scotty isn't the thing that shows up on the box scores. He, he came in, he came into Vegas in the summer league talking about just like this will to defend. I want to defend. I want to play with energy. That's really hard to do in the NBA. And when he got off to that hot start, I think he caught a lot of people on their heels because he just doesn't stop when he's on the court. Like he goes rim to rim as hard as he can. And so those are like intangible things but they made him so endearing. Um, again, you ride with a guy like that every night. You're begging your lottery pick to take more shots. <laughs> what? You know, usually the lottery <laughs> guy's like, you know, but so that's what I'm saying is like, it's just, it's been a pleasure. Even on the nights that haven't been wins and even on the nights where it hasn't looked as good, it's still, you still wake up in the morning. You're like, all right, let's go. Like, I want to go cover this team because you believe in, in what they're doing. Do you think he should be given more responsibility right now? Like, especially maybe in close games, you know, they give uh, Fred the last shot or Pascal, which hasn't really been working lately. Is it time to just see what Barnes can do? I don't know. Not quite like, yet. I, no, I got asked that yesterday. I'm like, I mean, listen, I am, I'm not a coach. So for a reason, yeah. <laughs> um, 
I don't know. I mean, I think that part of the reason that Scotty's been so great is he hasn't forced, you know, he hasn't pushed, he hasn't forced and last minute shots. Like Fred's always earning the right to take that. He's, he's just earned it. He always has. So the other thing I, and I had this conversation recently too, about Fred is he wants to win ball games. He's like the most mentally tough, absolute competitor, We've seen games where he's played great and they haven't won and he's not happy. Right. And we see games where he hasn't been as great and they win and he's okay. Like he's good. Cause they won. So when Fred has the ball in his hands in the last couple possessions of a game, I believe he's doing what he can to help his team. So that shot against Brooklyn was such a weird thing. Like when's lot, like he created, he created a good shot. It was just like slipped off his hand yep. weird. So, I mean, are, you know, are you going to like sit there and be like, that's it. He's done. No. Um, so I think, you know, Fred thinks that he's going to set, set Scotty up for a last minute shot and he's going to find success there. That's where the ball's going to go. Fair. I don't know. I, I, I don't, I, I'm not, I, mean, I like it. Yeah. I don't know. That's just, again, like that's what I've seen and that's where I think it's going. Okay. I want to get back to broadcasting a little bit. I know we're jumping around here, but I, before we let you go, um, <laughs> So you were thrown into color last minute earlier this week, right? Because of the COVID thing. And you have to do it off a screen. Did you, <laughs> have, you have you done it off a screen before? Was that your first time? No. So I was really lucky. Um, last season, I was the analyst with the 905 and they were in the Orlando bubble. Okay. So actually, we called all those games from the Rogers Center um, in the Dome Studios. Okay. So that I was, uh, and I did radio off the tube as well. And that's more difficult because like you forget when you're doing radio that people can't see the replays. <laughs> so that was right. but yeah, no, it was a crazy, I mean, first of all, it's the first thing when you get the call is like, is everybody okay? because you guys know this, like your work, whether you like them or not. And I, I do love my work family, but you become a bit of a family, especially when you're traveling and stuff. So the first thing is like, is everybody okay? And then it was like, okay, well, uh, this isn't a celebration or anything for me because it's a weird, it's just, it's not a good circumstance, but I, I knew I, I could do the job and I was grateful and humbled that they asked Amy to do it. Uh, Eric Smith, I'd never never worked with him before. So that was, there's oh, there's, there's so many things that go into like, yeah. And then it's like, you think it's funny. I had my Brooklyn spot chart and all my prep done on Monday night. And then when I woke up Tuesday, I was uh, running a quick couple errands. Uh, I was running low on dog food because I'm terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I need to go get this right now. Come on, buddy, get in the car. And then all of a sudden you're in the store on Twitter and it's like, Oh, I have to go home and redo everything Brooklyn. <laughs> Cause it was like five times <laughs> out. And then when I got, to, when we got there and it was all of a sudden like, Oh, James Harden. Oh, Oh, James, no, no problem. Right. He's not like a huge part of your um, game approach. No, no problem. <laughs> and like Bruce Brown, oh, no, no issues. So it was just, it was kind of like, and then it's like, is this ball even going up tonight? Cause that, that, would been, yeah. <laughs> that would have been a bit more of a roller coaster of the week. But anyways, yeah, no, I was confident in that. I had called off the tube before. Obviously, my dream is to be an NBA analyst, so I got to do that. Um, so that was really cool. But again, like, don't I don't you don't think about that until like after the fact because it's like the focus is just trying to do your best. And the truck's amazing. Like, people don't realize like you're only as good as your truck. <laughs> you really I, that's how I feel, anyways. Especially when you're in game and they're kind of like leading you to some spots or giving you the replays or through you know they throw stats. Like it's just so that part of it just made my night so much more enjoyable. Yeah. The trust you have to put into the voices in your ears sometimes is just incredible. And I being on live TV, like as in my career, what I realized is there's all these moments that come up that you're not expecting or you're not necessarily prepared for, right? Like you don't get a script in time or the video goes to black or whatever happens, which kind of happened to you. So how are you dealing with when these things just kind of come up out of the blue and you're forced to, to pivot. For me, I think in, in what specifically I do, it's basketball at the end of the day. That's why people are turning on the TV because they want to watch a game or they're a fan of a team. And so, and that's my foundation is like the love of this game. I played this game like everyone. And I'm, I don't know if I should say this. Everyone's like, you know, when you kind of come up in the industry, like, would you take news? Would you get into this industry? And I'm like, no, I, I love sports. That's the foundation here. I will go 
work on, you know, somewhere else in a gym before I jump in. My passion is basketball, not television. Right. I, I don't know if I get in trouble for that. You know what I mean? So no, that's, that makes perfect sense. That was like yeah. me too. I, I didn't want to cover weather just so I could be on TV. I wanted to be involved in sports. So yeah, continue. that makes perfect sense. No, yeah, no, that's it. It's so, so just, um, we'll just, we go back to basketball It's live television. It's a, as you know, it's just this kind of like, we have like sometimes like dark sense of humor because it happens, stuff, stuff happens and you just have to like move on. And if you're covering the NBA, the glorious there's 82 games. So it's like, yeah, that one wasn't as good. Okay. Well, we got another one. Like, let's just be better tomorrow or be better. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's just basketball. And when they're close games, it helps. So Brooklyn was a, a good, um, close game and it was definitely, so then you just, you call the game. We don't have to have all these conversations. You don't have to force a conversation with someone you've never worked before with before because the game, the game's a good and it's a close one. So that it, it really, all that stuff helps so much. So it is absolutely the best when you're in the moment and you're not nervous and you're not thinking about people listening to you. You're just like in the moment. That is, yeah, that is the sweet spot. So my, our, the last thing I want to ask you is, is this your dream job right now? Or do you have other aspirations? What are you thinking about what's next? Or are you, you just loving life right now? Yeah. I just try to be as good as I can right now. I, which is a weird, it's a, it's a weird space for me. I've always, that's again, when we talk about being just a competitor, you always get really, uh, never complacent. Um, I still feel, especially in a, in the reporter side of things, I'm just learning so much. Um, so my, <laughs> it's like, I don't even have to get Like I'm running low on dog food right now. So I'm not even thinking about <laughs> next year. Like I'm just trying to like get through the day as best as I can and understanding too, it's a tremendous responsibility to have these kinds of jobs, because especially when you look at a team like the Raptors, this isn't a region, this isn't a state, this is an entire country that looks after this. So, um, it's just like, being constantly in tune with that. Like it is a sense of responsibility and not just to talk about basketball, but these men and women in the organization are incredible. And it's our job, especially right now when everything's so limited to try to share who they are with the world and do that in a respectful manner, especially during these times where I think everyone is naturally just a bit more on edge. Um, so I just, is it a dream come true? Yes. In some ways it is, of course it is. But am I also like, all right, like in our industry, you never feel like you're going to be somewhere for the rest of your life. Um, so for me, it's just one day at a time. And it's a lot of just the analyst reporter being myself, not trying to be somebody else or, you know, like, and so all of that is just, it's all new for me. So I think, yeah. I'm focused really on the present, maybe more than I ever have been. Right. That is a great approach. Okay. I thought of another question before we go. This is the last one. I promise. Do you like the X and o, X's and O's of the game better? Or do you like the storytelling piece? It's players and coaches and all that. I feel like that changes every single day. Honestly, yeah. I know that sounds funny because, um, I love the game. Again, it's like the foundation of this a leather ball and a hoop is just kind of like, gave me this whole life. Uh, but then when you do get a little insight or when you do get to share, or when you do get to meet somebody and you get, to, you know, you know, that they, you get to help share their story. That is absolutely incredible. That means a lot to me too. And so that's why for me, like this position is really exciting because I get to kind of do a bit of both. Um, and so I'm still navigating it the best, but yeah, I, I can't. And like I said, so I'll like, maybe again, have a really cool story or meet someone's, you know, Gary Trent's dad, Gary Trent senior's dad, like get to chat to him about his son. Like that's so cool as his son, like nails a three, such a cool moment, right? Yeah. Like I don't get to do that. If I'm just like when the X's and O's that being said, the X's and O's is like how my mind is just kind of programmed. So it's just, it's a combination. I think of everything. I don't know. I love meeting the families. You always learn yeah. so much. Like you almost instantly learn so much more about that. Even your friends, right? When you meet their parents, you're like, oh, that's why. No. You learn <laughs> I mean, it makes they're humans, right? Like, and that's totally. the thing. they're somebody's family. They're saying, I wish that like uh, sometimes fans would remember that a little bit more. Yeah. No these, are, these are people. They have an elite skill set and they are, they found a way to make it their job and their livelihood. But at the end of the day, it's really cool when you get to dive into the person. Absolutely. 
Amy, thank you so much for this. Uh, we think you are doing a bang up job. I want to hear your voice on TV even more than I've already heard it and see your face on there. So um, congrats on your career so far. You've been amazing. And I, I hope uh, we hope things continue on for you in this way. Yeah, thank you. I just have to say, Natasha, I'm like one of your biggest fans. Seriously. <laughs> Well, here's the thing, like when you start, when you want to start working in television, you start walking, watching sports television a lot. And I was just like, you're like one of my favorite people because I just think, I, I mean, technically like also like you're just, your delivery is amazing. You literally uh, feel like you're being welcomed into everyone's home. And that's, that is what we try to do as on-air presenters. And I feel like, you know, that's something you can't teach. So again, like when I got into DM from you, I was definitely fangirling. So Thank you. That is so nice of you to say. Yes, that is awesome. I appreciate that. Uh, But you're right. You just, one of the biggest goals is just to be relatable, right? To people at home. So there you go. Okay, Amy, thank you again. Uh, And hopefully, hopefully meet you in person at some point down the road. Hey, I would love that. I would love that. Okay, there she goes. Amy Audibert. Now I have to, Audibert, Audibert. I have to go back now and listen to what she said. But regardless, I mean, I know what it's like to have a last name mispronounced. So I'm going to double check what she said. But um, I don't like how she's laughs about being long-winded, but she's so great at her job. And uh, and what? I'm just, I'm so happy. She's such a good person. And it's just, it's great to see good people succeed. And I feel like, Matt, the future is bright for her. And I love her insight on the Raptors. I could see you were totally into it too. hundred percent. It's always cool when you, when you talk to somebody who's excited about what they do and you can just see that in their eyes. Like when they're talking, there's there's a level of, uh, I don't know, passion, love, whatever the word is. You can tell that that was not fake in any way and that there's a real love of basketball there. So that's, uh, it was super cool. Uh, and she knows her stuff, right? Which is the most important thing, I think, with with any of you, you know, any of you, any broadcaster at all, male or female. I think the most important thing for me is that when I listen to her, I listen to somebody. I think, man, she's, you know, she knows what she's talking about. She has good insights, and uh, so I'm looking forward to uh, to hearing her on more Sportsnet broadcasts. Well, I think you said it. You paid the highest compliment when you turn on the TV and you don't notice if it's a woman or a man anymore, right? Like the whole thing about exactly. the first women's broadcast. We're sick of hearing about the first. So yeah, when it becomes more commonplace, I guess, is the goal. So, okay, there we have it. Um, unfortunately, no time for NFL picks. Um, week 15, here we go. But I think I won both the bets last week. I think. I, yeah, you did. You closing did. The you did. Closing the You're gap. You're closing the gap. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. All right. I'm going to study up hard for next weekend. Uh, Al, thanks for this. Uh, stay, I was going to say stay warm out in Toronto, but I guess cool <laughs> i'll put my sunglasses on and go outside now that's what yeah. i'm gonna do so yeah it's uh maybe play around the golf or something feel really bad for you okay have a great weekend we'll talk to you next week See you later. you're listening to the oh come on sports podcast with me natasha sanashevsky come on